Carrying a proud and ancient heritage, pro lacrosse teams are now fielded in Philadelphia, Boston, New York, Maryland, Montreal, and Quebec. As a body, these teams comprise the National Lacrosse League, and to a man, they represent the finest players the sport has developed. The game itself consists of three 20-minute periods and is played in a 200 by 85-foot rink known as a box. There are six men to a side and play is initiated by a face-off or draw. The team which gains possession then tries to move the ball, cradling it in a lacrosse stick toward the opponent's goal line by either running or passing. There's a 30-second clock, and a team must get off a shot on goal during that time. After a save or loss of possession, the offense retreats to its own goal to defend against the opponent's attack. Using a man-to-man -man or zone defense, the players are permitted to vigorously stick-check an opponent. Slashing is also employed to knock the ball loose and prevent a clean shot on goal. There's one point allowed for each goal, and the Philadelphia Wings are always high in point production. Welcome to Good Seats Still Available, a curious little podcast devoted to exploring what used to be in professional sports. Here's your host, Tim Hanlon. Well, hi there, uh, everybody. Uh, yes, it is indeed your pal, Tim Hanlon, battling a cold uh, and frankly, trying to do my best John Facenda imitation uh, this week here on Good Seats Still Available, our curious little journey uh, each and every week into what used to be in uh, professional sports. So uh, we're not going to let a little head cold and a little uh, other sort of gremlins sort of uh, keep us from our uh, from our appointed rounds. And uh, this week we are uh, ecstatic uh, to get back into uh, pro lacrosse and a very fun and interesting conversation uh, with a couple of guys out of the uh, South Jersey uh, metropolitan Philadelphia area uh, who have uh, been lifelong fans of uh, whatever you could call the pro lacrosse game. Uh, in this country, which is, uh, you know, a very interesting and and perhaps a little, uh, uh, you know, uh, niche, I guess, of a of a of an exploration and a fandom, uh, but uh, that is absolutely uh, perfect uh, for the kinds of things that we uh, enjoy uh, pursuing here on this little show. Uh, and uh, Steve and Dave have um, uh, set up a, a a treasure trove of uh, of information and uh, most interestingly, uh, game footage from uh, some of the more classic. Uh, professional, uh, mostly box indoor lacrosse uh, leagues uh, here in the United States. Uh, most uh, interestingly, the uh, original uh, National Lacrosse League from 1974 and 75. Most people who are fans of the uh, indoor and frankly outdoor versions of this game don't even realize that there was a pro league uh, in 74 and 75. And, and it frankly shouldn't come as a surprise, right? Because the 1970s was just a wellspring of uh, of of new uh, and fresh and challenger leagues and and even sports for that matter, uh, so it's uh, hard uh, not to believe, frankly, that uh, lacrosse uh, had its uh, uh, relatively short uh, shot in the sun uh, in the '70s, and that's actually where Steve and Dave 
Steve Holroyd and Dave Coleman are uh, our guests this week, kind of got uh, hooked, if you will, on the sport of lacrosse and in particular the uh, indoor box lacrosse version. And they have uh, created a website called Retrolax.com, R-E-T-R-O-L-A-X.com. And it is uh, it's just a, you will lose uh, many minutes and, and probably hours digging into uh, what is, seems to be an endless uh, uh, array of stuff uh, devoted to not only the original National Lacrosse League, as we'll talk about uh, in our conversation coming up, but also uh, as they became fans of the sport, uh, they sort of recognized that uh, that there was a past even before that, something called the National Lacrosse Association in uh, the late 1960s. I think it was 68 uh, for a very brief span of time. And of course, uh, their fandom has uh, expanded into what is now uh, the uh, reincarnated National Lacrosse League, that the being the uh, indoor uh, box lacrosse uh, league uh, that just announced, as a matter of fact, a couple of days ago as we record this, a new franchise in Long Island, uh, a return, if you will, to uh, Long Island lacrosse uh, in the professional ranks. And uh, today's NLL uh, itself was begotten probably from the roots of the 1970s and the National Lacrosse League uh, version one. Uh, in, uh, as we've talked about with our previous guest, Russ Klein, uh, about uh, the uh, Eagle Box Lacrosse League in 1987, which then became uh, over time the uh, major indoor lacrosse league. And then, of course, uh, its current appellation uh, known as the National Lacrosse League. Anyway, all of that stuff. And by the way, we even get into uh, with uh, Steve and Dave uh, a bit of uh, sort of how hot, uh, newly hot uh, the sport of lacrosse is now, uh, clearly with. Uh, a whole bunch of different things, especially on the outdoor front, right? The uh, uh, Major League Lacrosse still exists, but uh, we also have a brand new Challenger League or uh, or tour coming up uh, with uh, Paul Rabel and his friends from the Worlds of Private Equity. And we're going to get in all of that. Uh, the past, uh, the present, and the uh, very interesting future of uh, pro lacrosse uh, with our guests uh, today, Steve Holroyd and Dave Coleman and uh, Retrolax dot com their website and uh, stay tuned for in a couple of minutes a very fun and interesting conversation around all of that uh, a couple of quick promo items and uh, we will uh, segue nicely into that chat uh, as the holidays uh, are, are upon us we want to remind you that uh, if you uh, have a fan of sports uh, either yourself or others in your family or in your friend circles uh, by all means please we've got a, a bunch of great sponsors that have a tremendous array of, uh, of stuff uh, relating to teams and leagues no longer with us and, and, and other stuff as well. But uh, and they're great sponsors. They've been terrific for most of the course of this year. And we encourage you to check them all out. I'm just going to read them all out. You check them out. You've heard me uh, tout them all, uh, but they're all tremendous. And they all have some great discounts for you uh, for being listeners of this great little show. Uh, and we appreciate all of them for doing so. Oldschoolshirts.com out of Cincinnati. We love them. Uh, great logos, great quality T-shirts. Uh, and not just in sports, but all kinds of other uh, pop culture stuff. And uh, you owe it to yourself to give them a chance uh, for your uh, attention and hopefully your uh, your purchase uh, uh, wares of their wares. That's oldschoolshirts.com. It's, uh, it's, it's spelled just like it sounds. And uh, promo code is GOODSEATS, and you're going to get 10% off all of your purchases there at oldschoolshirts.com. Uh, sportshistorycollectibles.com, our friend Dean Mitchell. Uh, out in San Diego, uh, have uh, a uh, an awesome array of stuff. Uh, new inventory seems to be up there just about every other week now. Uh, and uh, it is uh, a, a highly curated 
uh, and well-crafted uh, site of great stuff, great memorabilia. And you're talking about um, pennants and, and programs and media guides and buttons and stickers and, and all kinds of other stuff uh, from uh, a whole raft of leagues and teams uh, and sports, frankly. Lacrosse is absolutely part of that mix. Uh, and that's at sportshistorycollectibles.com. The promo code there is also good seats, and you're going to get 15% off all of your purchases there uh, as well. And last but certainly not least, our friends out of Portland, Oregon. Yes, we go all over the country searching for the great uh, and best sites for you to uh, to take advantage of, and that's 503 Sports, and that's uh, 503-sports.com. Uh, as, of course, you know, they are called the king of throwbacks, and it is not without – uh, that's not boasting, frankly, if uh, if you get a sense of, uh, of the great stuff that they've got for you, especially uh, in the realm of football, but more sports to come. Uh, they not only have great T-shirts and stuff, but also uh, these uh, uh, small batch uh, handcrafted um, custom uniforms from uh, various teams uh, from various leagues that are no longer with us. And uh, if you fancy yourself a football fan of, say, the WFL, uh, or the USFL, or the World League of American Football. Hell, even the old and original XFL conversation we'll have uh, in a couple of weeks into the new year about uh, the past and the new present of what the XFL is going to become. Uh, you got to check out 503 Sports, 503-sports.com. And uh, you're going to be the uh, the toast of your neighborhood uh, when you're walking around town with that uh, uh, Houston Gamblers USFL jersey. Or, you know, frankly, the... Uh, you know, something from the Portland Thunder of the WFL or perhaps uh, the Barcelona Dragons of the World League of American Football. I mean, you want those jerseys and hell, you want your name on the back of them uh, uh, yeah, and a number, too, that you'd like. Uh, 503 Sports is the place to go for that. 503-sports.com. And of course, we have a promo code for you there, too. And that's SEATS, S-E-A-T-S, SEATS. That's the promo code at 503-sports, 503-sports.com for 10% off all of your purchases when you use that promo code SEATS. All right, uh, try them all. You're going to love them all. And uh, we thank all of them this year and hopefully in the next year, too, uh, for their sponsorship of this uh, little humble little show uh, that we'd like to put together for you each and every week. And this week, we're going to segue uh, into pro box lacrosse and uh, our guests, Steve Holroyd and uh, Dave Coleman. Here is our chat that we had back when I was healthier <laughs> just a couple of weeks ago. Enjoy. So why don't you uh, each identify yourselves to our audience uh, and um, what your sort of day jobs are and or uh, your passion or interest for the sport of lacrosse generally as well. Go ahead, Dave. Okay. Uh, I'm Dave Coleman. I live in South Jersey. I work for a flooring manufacturer called Mannington. I've been there for 27 years. Uh, my beginnings in lacrosse go back to 1974. I was 13. The new league was, uh, well, the new league back then was coming into shape with the National Lacrosse League, and there were televised games in Philadelphia back then. And uh, I showed my parents and went to my first game on my birthday, around my birthday in July, and uh, came home with a stick, and I've been playing ever since. Uh, I'm Steve Holroyd. I'm a. Uh, I'm also in South Jersey. I'm a labor law in Philadelphia by day. Um, uh, I, like Dave, I was first introduced to lacrosse in '74 when the Wings came to town, um, and uh, I guess initially it was merely intriguing because I was about nine, 
uh, and the league was gone in two years. And I grew up in uh, a blue-collar town that did, that did not have a, a lacrosse program, but it was always on my radar screen. And then when it came back in 87 uh, with the Eagle League and the second version of the Wings, uh, I got involved. And uh, a lot like soccer, which, uh, Tim, as you know, is, is, is my main background, uh, it, it intrigued me because it was another sport that had a great history that no one, either no one knew about or no one wanted to talk about. And um, and with uh, you know, along with what you were alluding to a little earlier, with the fact that it it really seems to be ready, to, finally, ready to take that next step into um, you know, established major league sports status, it seemed like a good time to get involved and start digging up the history of that sport, and 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 let other people kind of take over the soccer stuff. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and and Steve, obviously, you're uh, you're quite the prodigious uh, uh, historian on on mo- not only uh, lacrosse but also soccer, uh, as most of our listeners probably know. If you don't already, uh, shame on you. But the um, the idea of um, you know of lacrosse, right, is uh, you know not only you know you're getting involved and interested in it, you know, as a fledgling professional league in seventy four seventy five, right? But ironically. Uh, it's probably one of the uh, oldest, most uh, earliest or earliest documented uh, sports in this country, right? It has a very rich uh, and very long history, uh, way even before, you know, modern times, right? Yeah, I mean, people, it's called the creator's game because it was, uh, it was a, it's, it's, it's a Native American sport uh, that they'd been playing for centuries, uh, around uh, well before the time when the uh, French settlers saw um, the, the natives playing this game, waving these big sticks around, and, and, they, and they, to them it reminded them of the cross you know, um, that would be used in mass, and, and hence what was called the Gataway by the natives, and, and the, it was called by another name, which escapes me off the top of my head, but the French saw it and said, ah, the cross, you know, and, and here we are. And right, it's probably uh, certainly more so than even baseball. It's probably the oldest game uh, absent some native kicking games that bear the loosest affiliation with uh, soccer. Uh, it, it's probably the oldest game still played on these shores. And, uh, you know, centuries later, it's finally catching on as a professional game. So each of you guys, why, give me a sense of like uh, what it was uh, about this game uh, and maybe some of the, uh, you know, the reasons that you decided to, I guess, schlep down to the spectrum at the time and, and check out a uh, an original Wings game. Uh, you know, versus say, you know, tons of other sports and, and look in the 1970s, right? There were lots of, you know, fledgling and, and, and new leagues, whether it's world team tennis or, uh, you know, the, the ABA or WHA. I mean, there are plenty of other, shall we call them alternative leagues or sports out there. What was it about lacrosse that kind of, you know, got you to go to the spectrum and, and arguably get hooked? The reasons that I've, uh, I brought back the website that we've got now, going back to when I was a teenager, uh, lacrosse, the, the indoor game had a lot of variables, if I want to say that word, uh, when it comes to the competition, the toughness, the, uh, the speed, the agility of the players, the, you know, it, it, the physicality of the game was what drew, drew me into it. And, uh, it, it, it was like watching ballet on wood, so to speak. 
it was just something that is like, look at these guys, you know? And, you know, you, you got soccer and baseball and football and everything. And But with this game, it was different, and that drew my attention. That's why I still follow the sport to this day, and it's the reason why Retro Lax is back up and running. Yeah, for my part, it's funny, Tim, you, you mentioned – uh, the uh, the other the other sports, it, I think my 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 interest initially was, you know, it, it was it, it was a new sport in an era when there was expansion all over the place. I mean, in 1973, soccer came to town with the Philadelphia Adams, was big news, and then you know the next year we suddenly have the Philadelphia Bell in a rival football league, Philadelphia Freedoms in a brand new team tennis, and wings in the sport called lacrosse that I knew nothing about. Um, and so I was watching all of them, but lacrosse caught my eye for two reasons. One, it was the it was a game my father would take me to because he couldn't afford Flyers tickets. But you know, he he did like he saw the ads about what a tough, hard hitting game it was, and that was right in his wheelhouse. But then a lot like Dave, you know, I went to the game expecting to see just you know violence, and and what you saw instead was while it was a tough game was just phenomenal skill. I mean, you know, ballet on the boards is not an unfair description. I mean, these guys, uh, you know, what they were doing, not only with their hand-eye coordination, I mean, you saw a guy like John Grant, and we have to say senior these days because of his kid, but John Grant, was it what he was doing with the stick and behind the back and the no-look passes, and, and all these guys. I mean, it, it really was a combination of basketball and hockey and 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 you almost track with the speed. It was it, with the speed involved. It was just a beautiful game, and from the very start, it held my interest. And as I said, you know, it kind of went away in two years, and I was too young to really try to find any kind of rec leagues to play in. But uh, I, I was certainly when I heard it was coming back in '87, and, and 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 fittingly enough, at least in Philadelphia, with a team that was taking the original name and logo of the old team. Um, I was first in line, or you know, figuratively first in line. I'm sure Dave was there too, and and uh, and and it's just an interest that stayed with me. And uh, and even when the the second wings left in 2014, you know now they're back. And in my personal case, you know, interestingly, they're they're sort of brought back with a guy with a soccer connection. You know, the current commissioner of the National Lacrosse League got his start in soccer, so it was it sort of dovetailed nicely for me to have it all back. Yeah, that's interesting too. I think too that you were uh, you both were sort of um, I want to say spoiled, but uh, you were you were arguably f- following the team uh, in the national um, uh, league, the the first one in seventy four seventy five. That was probably the most um, I guess stable, if you can call that for a two year league, uh, but probably the most visible, right? Because you know a lot of the footage that you guys have on this site, and I'm sure there's probably others uh, more to come. Um, you know, th- there's a very sparse amount of uh, Nash, original National Lacrosse League uh, video out there on on YouTube and 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 elsewhere, right? And and your trove, uh, frankly, a lot of it seems to come from or have come from Philadelphia broadcasts. Um, Correct. It, I get a sense that that uh, and maybe you can give me some reasons as to why uh, they the Philadelphia franchise might have been the most, shall we say, in the tank in terms of media and and marketing and that kind of stuff. Uh, versus the other five teams, or the movement of the other teams, too, in that two-year period. Well, that was the reason why, going back to 1994, I started a website. I first started writing on the Internet, and 
it was uh, a website called Sports World because you would go to the Philadelphia newspapers day in and day out, and they covered the Flyers, the Phillies, the Sixers, and the Eagles. And that was it, basically. Now, back in 94, the Wings were working on their third MILL championship. They've already ran, they've already won it twice back in 89 and 90. And it was like, I just wanted to present something that, you know, like, I wanted to know what was going on with arena football. I got a passion for arena football dating all the way when that first started back in 87. The indoor soccer game, the outdoor soccer game. And then I brought in like six minor league hockey leagues that were never covered. And it's like, it, it, this is what piqued my interest. And moving to 98, it was like with, you know, personal things going on. It was just that, you know, like this was becoming too much cover because I was covering 10, 11 legs by myself back then. And it's like, okay, let's break it down to what are you really true about? And it was the indoor lacrosse. So I brought in NOL lacrosse, which covered the 74, 75 leg only. And I ran that up until 2004, 2005. And then there was a lot of major indoor lacrosse film at my disposal. If I didn't record it myself back then, because I was a season ticket holder for years during the major indoor lacrosse era, I had other people, I had other repositories that I could go to to bring this film in. And I incorporated that with the old leg in 74-75, and I created Lax TV in 2006, and that ran up until 2011. Yeah, there's a lot of Philadelphia footage on the site, uh, but there's, you know, there's a contrast, you know, with Buffalo and Boston and New York. It was sitting in a box for almost seven years. I get back on Facebook after a five-year absence, and people from Philly were like, you know, like with the different pages that they got on Facebook now with the 74-75 league and the major indoor league. And it's like, you got the archive. And it's like, yeah, I got the archive. It's sitting here. And it's like, you need to bring it back. And it's like, <laughs> it, 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 it's like being a duck out of water because I had to reteach myself everything because the technology from when I did it to now is like, night and day where it took me just to do one game back then with the technology that we had at our disposal 10 to 12 hours a game and I started raising my kids on my own after 2003 and it just became so time consuming that you know it was like eating pizza every day and after a while you get tired of eating pizza every day so I just uh, decided to pull the reins back and concentrate on what need to be concentrated on. Now, three hours a game, and I did 70 games altogether. So it took, that was the first, that was the first leg on the site. It was over two months still in film, just straight film, the editing, the this and that. You won't see too many, you don't see too many commercials. If you go to watch a game, I cut all the commercials out and I did what editing that I needed to do and the 
big part of the site was the Tim wants to watch a game from 1988 or from 1992 or from 1974, or whatever. You just go, boom, it's right there. So, so that's that's interesting because uh, and I, you know we we started sort of with this uh, uh, National Lacrosse League thing in '74 and '75, right? It almost feels like, uh, from what you're describing and all the work that goes into it, and probably more to come, uh, that um, it's an interesting sort of midpoint, if you will, in terms of, I guess, the modern box lacrosse kind of indoor thing, right? Because as you guys recognized and and went back as you got more familiar with the game, or maybe wonder where it went and. Uh, maybe got curious about sort of like what preceded it. Uh, you got in, you're enmeshed into the National Lacrosse Association, right, which was a shorter blip of time back in 68. But obviously, as you referenced, right, the, the late 80s and onward, you know, of the Eagle Box Lacrosse, then the major indoor lacrosse league, and then what is now known as the uh, reincarnated, I guess, or rebranded National Lacrosse League. Um, it almost feels like it's a its own sort of um, – I don't know, a mini timeline, right, of maybe from that late 60s era until wherever it's going today in the, uh, you know, in the future indoors. Um, It feels to me like you're almost backfilling, I don't know, a whole host of uh, historical moments that uh, certainly before the major and the current National Lacrosse League, there's lots of uh, gaps and I suspect uh, treasures to be uh, discovered in people's, I don't know, attics and uh, and garage sales from uh, from from the past. Yeah, that's like kind of my thing. I, when I get into, I learn from soccer. When I get into a sport, I, I, I know instinctively that there's got to be, there was clearly something before this. So, you know, I, I knew about the National Lacrosse League in 74, but yeah, I just figured out no, this, it's not, someone did not just wake up and decide, hey, let's try box lacrosse in 1974. And you do a little digging and you find out about the 68 league. You do a little more digging and you find out that you know, uh, the sport itself was literally invented in 1931 by hockey arena owners looking for a reason to fill their arenas in the summertime. And Tim, you know, given your soccer background, stop me when that sounds familiar, right? Let's form a league because we, we need to fill, we need to fill dates. And, um, and, and yeah, and, and you realize, wow, there's a, there was a lot out there. I mean, 1932, America, an American box lacrosse league, Playing in baseball stadiums was tried, owned by the baseball teams again, looking for product. But and and then you and you find, as you put this out there, and I know Dave's found this too. You put this out there, and suddenly you start getting emails and Facebook comments from you know the, the niece of someone who played in that league. And and yeah, I think ultimately uh, Dave and I both were, were, were hoping that people will start will start contacting us and saying, hey, you know. Oh, the, the 1968 league that was on TV in uh, in Hamilton, and we had we taped it on an old VHS. Here, here you go. It would be great to unearth that stuff. But like everything else, until people realize there's a place to go, you know, I mean, these people know they have that stuff in their attic, but they have no idea where to take it. You know, we're hoping that as as Retrolax gets, uh, I mean, it gets out there a little bit more. You know, hopefully, maybe people are hearing this podcast. They'll say, oh, look, here's a couple of guys who are interested in it. You know, they'll, they'll reach out to Dave. Hey, here's what we got. And we could start getting uh, the, the stuff beyond 74, 74, 75 stuff other than the wings and, and, and get that out there. And then you know, the site will grow. And, and hopefully with it, you know, the, uh, the online memorabilia will also grow. And I have, to a point, friends that used to play the game and that are involved with different organizations in Canada that have 
told me firsthand that there are things that are coming about and whatnot, and they tell me what they have, and it's like it's going to take some it's going to take some digging, and it's going to take some research. It's going to, you know, ultimately got to pay the cost in order for it to bring it to the forefront. But eventually. As time goes on with this, as I said, you got to crawl before you walk. It's going to be interesting to see what footage is going to be made available for us to work with in order to present it to the community. You know, the thing that drew me to Steve the most when we first started creating this site was the fact that he had a knowledge that I didn't, which is a good thing because you don't want to be... You know, like, well, I've got this, well, I've got this, too, and all this. I mean, he goes back to the turn of the 1900s and even earlier than that with the things that he's finding that is bringing a different perspective to what we're doing here. It's like it's not just generally the 74, 75, and the 80s, 90s MILL. I mean, he's, you know, with the National Lacrosse Association, and it's like, I heard about it, but I wasn't familiar with it. Well, I've got a first-hand knowledge of it now, thanks to Steve and the 1904 Olympics article that he wrote uh, last week, I want to say it was, that it was like, you know, you could put a blip up on a blog post. My friend researches. He just, like, he take a look at this, and it's like, wow. And he's he really does, he, he really goes out of his way to research all the early lacrosse history that involves box field this that you know i mean he he's really done a good job so it's a matter of time and being in the right place at the right time and we have quite a few people out there that are contributing old players from the old 74 75 league from the major leg that are contributing to this site as we go along. And uh, I had a player that played for Syracuse and Quebec back in 74, 75, Pat Differ, who, t- who told me straight up, he goes, this site will never be done. And he's right. It, it, will, it, it, won't, it won't ever be completely finished due to the fact that there's so much history that's out there that needs to be brought to the forefront. And, We've got nothing better else to do with our free time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's just... Yeah, I was going to say, I, like, for example, there's a, 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 there's a gem of a, of a piece of video there, uh, a Pathé uh, uh, newsreel of uh, Toronto versus Montreal in, from 1932. I, I, am I correct? Is that a Madison Square Garden exhibition? Yes, it was, uh, it was a teaser. Those two teams had played in the 1931 Canadian Box League, the, the very first league. And it was, a, it was a charity event, but it was also basically a teaser for the uh, American Pro Box League that was going to start about a month later. And, yeah, somehow Path was there, and they filmed it. And, of course, in what's, uh, in what's become a common theme throughout the history of the, of the indoor game, you know, they naturally focus on the violence as opposed to the skill. But, um, yeah, I mean, go figure. The very first in, uh, box across game played in the United States and British newsreels are there to capture. What you know? What are the odds? So, wh- where is most of your footage coming from? I got you know the Pathé stuff is probably you know YouTube or, or somewhat commonly uh, findable, but um, it seems like a, a bunch of this stuff is uh, is unique 
uh, to your sources and uh, maybe hasn't even been seen really out there before. Is that is that right? I have. Uh, I should have sent you the picture of the box that I keep my film in. Because when I first started this, I posted a picture of the box. And it's like, it's time to get busy. I have, oh dear Lord, as I said, there's 70 games online right now. That was all for my collection. If I didn't have it personally, I bought it. I bought it off people. And I just added, you know, it just kept growing and growing and growing and growing. And, that, you know, this is... I looked at the box in the office today, and it was like, I got to put this up. <laughs> what, what, are your, what are your sources? So, where do you? Where do you? I mean, are you? You know, the, are you the sort of quintessential, you know, sports memorabilia, you know, or uh, garage sale or eBay fiend, you know, looking for this kind of stuff, or does it does it find you? Maybe perhaps as the site is uh, relaunched and get out there, and hopefully, it it finds me. But at the same time, I find it. Uh, it it's people that are. Within the lacrosse organ, within the lacrosse family, if I can, you know, I think that's the right way to say it. They come to me and it's like, hey, I got this. Do you have it? And it's like, no. And it's like they run me a copy. Uh, there was there, there was a source outside of Philadelphia years ago that I went up to ninety three with him, and he just ran off copies of what he had, and I paid him for his time and just brought it in house and it's it, it as i said it's amazing what people will bring to you what they will put forth and it's like can you do anything with this well well at the time i was doing something with it and now we're doing something with it again and as i said everything's sitting in a box in my office and that's where it's at you know, in some ways you got lucky because going back to something you said earlier tim you know philadelphia had virtually zero lacrosse history. I mean, the wings were dumped here in 74 because, you know, they, uh, they, they, they wanted to put these teams in traditional hockey cities. And, and, you know, and, and in fact, the wings first game was the same day the Flyers won the Stanley cup. So from the very start, the two teams were kind of linked together. There's a player on the wings named Doug Favell, who was a very popular goalie with the Flyers the previous year. He wound up being traded for Bernie Pratt. And while that worked out well, People remember Doug. And so we were kind of lucky in that both in 74, 75, Wings games are being televised because people wanted to see what you know, the little brother of the Flyers was like. And that's really what, kind of the way they were marketed. And even in two years, they, they had such a good reputation that when the league came back, when the sport came back in 87, we had a, a local, the, the, the predecessor to Comcast, actually, Prism, um, the local uh, cable channel, would would broadcast these games so we were fortunate that even if we weren't getting to the spectrum we could watch them on tv and more important tape them so we were in the one market that actually had content so uh, more dave than me i remember I, I taped the first year and then sort of stopped but you know dave was he was taping all these games so he had the wings you know database if you will to start and then as he was saying and then as he's getting around other people are saying hey i've got this and and sharing starts and, and so we're, we were able to develop an archive, but we're kind of fortunate that we both learned the game in Philadelphia as opposed to, say, you know, being a soccer fan in Memphis in 78. Well, you're on an island, you know, that, that, you're on your own. Philly, the, the media embraced it, which made getting access to this stuff a little easier.
All right, time for me to catch my breath, get a cool, tasty beverage, and uh, remind you while we do so that uh, our friends at Audible uh, are here to uh, remind you that uh, you can get a free audiobook download uh, of your choice from over 180,000 titles. Uh, if you go to audibletrial.com slash goodseats and uh, use that link, of course, to uh, try for yourself a free audiobook on us, uh, gratis, if you will. And you will love the idea of audiobooks. It's uh, it's an awesome way to kill time uh, and uh, occupy and stimulate your mind, uh, perhaps when your eyes are busy uh, doing uh, something else. And of course, there are plenty of uh, interesting books to be found, especially in the world of sports and sports history. And I think our audience might enjoy a few of these, of course, including uh, the seminal work by uh, baseball uh, legend Jim Bouton. It's called Ball Four. It is uh, not only written, but it's also narrated by him. You could use your free credit for that book. And of course, as you know, Ball Four uh, centers around the 1969 uh, one-year wonder that is the uh, Seattle, was the Seattle Pilots of Major League Baseball, but obviously the uh, the background for a whole lot of other observations about the sport of baseball. And it remains to this day, uh, perhaps uh, one of the most celebrated writings about the sport of baseball uh, in this country. Of course, you can also, if you're not a big baseball fan, you can go into the world of soccer uh, with uh, the autobiography called My Turn by Johan Cruyff, the uh, uh, late Johan Cruyff, uh, perhaps one of the world's best ever uh, soccer players. Uh, he of Dutch heritage, of course, uh, plenty of uh, great legendary years at club play as well as national team play uh, for the Dutch team, as well as for our audience, maybe a little bit of interest, uh, his journeys in the North American Soccer League in the late 70s and early 80s with the uh, Washington Diplomats uh, and the uh, Los Angeles Aztecs. And of course, if you're into football, uh, there's probably no better book, especially if you find yourself uh, really interested in the sort of deep and rich history of the NFL with uh, the book called NFL Football, A History of America's New National Pastime. It is written by Richard Crapeau and narrated by Marlon May. That, too, uh, is uh, an audiobook that you could choose from over, like I said, uh, 180,000 titles. Uh, there's got to be something in there that's going to be of interest to you. And by all means, give it a try. And we appreciate you doing so at audibletrial.com slash goodseats. And again, you're going to get your free uh, audiobook download. You can cancel it any time. And again, even if you cancel it, you can keep that book as long as your device exists. So again, we appreciate it. Give it a try. Audibletrial.com slash goodseats. And now back to our conversation. Before we get off the uh, 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 the original NLL, your besides your memories of, of going to games and sort of getting hooked as kids slash teenagers, what is your and maybe this is some of it is maybe now informed by what you've learned since. What well, what was it about the league? Why did it sort of come and go so quickly? Uh, maybe it's a a longer story for another day, but why did it sort of you know six teams it was mostly on the East Coast, but it seemed to have, 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 have it left as almost as quickly as it arrived. It seems uh, seventy four. You had the Wings, you had the Maryland Arrows, the Rochester Griffins, the Syracuse Stingers, and Rochester and Syracuse, and it's surprising even to this day, they're lacrosse hotbeds in the state of New York, without a doubt. Uh, you had the Montreal Quebecois, and you had the Toronto Tomahawks. They played a 40-game season in 74, and... It got to the point in Toronto because Jim Bishop, who was tied directly with the National Lacrosse Association that Steve personally works with, back in 68, he always had a vision 
of making indoor lacrosse professional, without a doubt. That was his lifelong dream. From 68, they went to 74, and they created the league. But Toronto was in a position to where, if you went to Maple Leaf Gardens during the summer, it wasn't air-conditioned. And that dropped their attendance down to, I mean, the last time the Wings played up there, and I have documentation of it in the office, it was there was not even a 1,000 fans in the stands for their last game against Philadelphia, which is sad in a way because box lacrosse in Canada is their national sport. Come 75, Toronto sold their naming rights to Long Island. That's where the Long Island Tomahawks came from. The roster from Toronto went to Boston. That became the Boston Bolts. The Rochester Griffins moved from Rochester to Long Island. Their rosters went to help to, to the island. Syracuse went to Quebec. Now, Rochester, during the 74, champion, 74 championship game, and Sports Illustrated wrote an article on it, which we republished on our site, drew 2,100 fans for a championship game. And that was kind of like the nail in the coffin for Rochester back then. So they moved their operations to Long Island. Uh, Syracuse moving to Quebec. Syracuse had attendance problems. Also, you know, two, 3,000 a game. It really didn't catch on. Because even with the major indoor lacrosse league, Baltimore, Washington, you know, like you get into field lacrosse hotbeds, the purists are like saying, oh, this isn't lacrosse, this is a circus, and this and that, and the whole nine yards. So the field lacrosse fan really didn't catch on to what was going on indoors. Now you go back to the National Lacrosse League back in 75. They played a 48-game schedule, which was originally supposed to be 56. They cut eight games out of the schedule. And the Quebec Caribou eventually won the championship in 75. When 76 came around, there were three. There were two out of the six franchises that were struggling financially. Montreal, because of the Olympics in 1976, withdrew. So you're down to five teams. Two out of the five were struggling. The other three just like looked at each other, and it's like, we're not going to bail them out. So it was like, that was the end of the National Lacrosse League back in the 70s. Yeah, I mean, Dave, Dave's giving you a very good micro view now. So you can take the macro view, Tim, and we've seen leagues come and go. And it really was the same old story. Uh, a bunch of people, uh, you know, for all the Jim Bishops and Morley Kells who were really passionate about making this a pro sport, a lot of the people with the money were really just looking for a quick buck. And, look, every new league has franchise movement and things like that. But for the Olympics, as David alluded to, but for the Olympics, the, the, the National Lacrosse League might have gotten over the hump because Montreal drew well. Philadelphia drew well. Maryland drew well. Philadelphia and Maryland had plenty of money. Uh, the, the, the owners there were well-heeled and, and, and happy to dig in. You would, have found, you would have found your way with other franchises. As Dave said, it's, it's shocking, although you've just seen it throughout the history of the game, that so-called box lacrosse hotheads like Rochester and Syracuse simply will not support the pro game. Similarly, in the 70s in particular, field lacrosse hotheads like Long Island and Maryland 
we're not going to deal with with the bastardization that was the indoor game. Again, sounds like soccer. <laughs> it's probably because it is. Um, but it, it, but for the Olympics, because the I mean, quite quite literally, Montreal didn't have a place to play. They would have they would have hung in there, and they might have been able to go forward with a five team league, four team league even. Um, but when Montreal didn't have a place to play because the forum was being used because of the '76 Olympics, no one had the wherewithal to go on hiatus for a year and come back, and 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 they folded up their tents. But it, it's unfortunate because again, every every new sport, every new league has these growing pains. Uh, and lacrosse had they gotten over that that rather artificial hump of the Olympics, you know, something that wouldn't be there otherwise. The the uh, the landscape might might be a lot different today. But as it is. Yeah, they had too few people who were committed, not enough people willing to see long-term. And again, it was almost like North American Soccer League 68. Oh, the quick buck's not here, I'm bailing. And as a result, it took, uh, you know, it took another 12 years until someone was willing to try again, and that was with the Eagle League. Yeah, that that's especially interesting. We had, um, <clears throat> as you guys probably know, we've had uh, Russ Klein on here about uh, March of yep. earlier this year. And, and yep. you know, Russ, uh, one of the things we talked about with him was uh, between he and um, – his partner Chris Fritz, right, who were the uh, the, the co-creators of the 1987 Eagle uh, Box Lacrosse League, and then what then became the MIL. Uh, excuse me, MILL, two L's there. Thank you. Um, is this sort of balance between what you guys are alluding to, uh, the sort of purest, you know, outdoor uh, lacrosse, uh, you know, uh, type person, probably certainly probably who has played the game and and understands the rules and the nuances and the I don't know, I guess more the uh, excitement junkie, you know, hockey-like, basketball-like, indoor soccer-like uh, version of this game, uh, faster, uh, more goals, more excitement, uh, probably more attractive to the uh, general fan, general sports fan, general excitement and, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, entertainment fan. Um, and, you know, I think if I remember our conversation correctly, I mean, Russ was kind of, you know, pretty straightforward and matter of fact about it. He, he didn't claim to be a, a, a lacrosse purist by any means, uh, like a lot of business people who, you know, get the money together and, and the wherewithal to do this, you know, saw enough of the game uh, and felt it to be uh, a, a, enough of an entertaining product that could be further uh, enhanced and, and and brought into the uh, into the world in multiple cities with, uh, you know, with uh, various attractions and uh, and promotional, uh, uh, you know, sheen, shall we say. Um, but I guess that's what I kind of want to get to is the sort of this, um, uh, I don't know, this uh, uh, delicate balance, I guess, between the sport of lacrosse, which is, you know, as we've talked about, you know, uh, almost, you know, almost 100 plus years old, even more than that, uh, and the sort of need for sort of excitement, you know, uh, and it, probably even before television really sort of became uh, a really big deal in terms of modern day sports. I mean, I, I guess, which is it, right? So, um, and maybe this is also a question about today. There's a question in here somewhere between sort of the purest of the yeah. game outdoors and the excitement and the, you know, the American way, I guess, of, of needing, um, you know, things that are entertaining uh, for their sports dollar. Yeah. The, the, the American exceptionalism angle is interesting. Although again, you know, this was a box lacrosse was a Canadian invention. Uh, and again, purely to fill uh, hockey rinks in the summertime. The 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 Eagle League guys, uh, as he as as Russ was pretty was pretty clear during his podcast, and he was a promoter. He was just looking for something to promote uh, again to fill buildings that were that were otherwise empty. Um, 
but he did he did do enough homework, and I think he learned a little bit from the Super Series that he ran the previous year, sort of a as a as a, a, a test to see whether there would be an audience for box across. He realized that you know, the Canadians were still light years ahead of the Americans, and so we needed to do a league that was uh, you know, something that would not only Americans would be competitive, but also uh, something that might not scare off the field lacrosse crowd as much. And that's why with the Eagle League, you had a slightly different set of rules than, than traditional box. And initially, it was primarily American collegians, um, although, uh, uh, never, although he might have been, uh, while his goal might have been to, uh, let's, let's have a league, that, uh, an indoor league that the field people would embrace, you know, not for nothing. He um, uh, took the same tack that leagues had been taking since the 1930s, and, and his commercials were highlighting the violence. But uh, you know, there was that. But uh, you know, at the same time, uh, I think anyone that did their homework recognized that, as opposed to team tennis, which w- was really never going to go over, or you know, spring football in the USFL's uh, case, like yeah, uh, you know, it, it's 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 a bit tough to take. That I, I think people recognize it. You know, box lacrosse really had an audience. I mean, the people that liked it really liked it. And, you know, it was, it was a question of hanging in there long enough to get a second generation of people like it. So, you know, it's like that old commercial. You tell a friend and they tell two friends and they tell two friends and it grows exponentially. And, and I think MILL was smart. You know, France was smart enough. Client in France were smart enough to say, hey, we may have something here if we're willing to dig in. And that's, you know, he was smart enough as your podcast covered. He understood the value of the single entity model, keeping control of costs, keeping control of player contracts, and and, and that's why that, and, and and not being ambitious with 56 game schedules that you have to dial back to 48. You know, initially we're going to play eight games. That's enough, you know, and uh, and that's why that league there's a reason why we're still talking about the National Lacrosse League that's been around since 1987, as opposed to any one of a number of other leagues that can only go back to. You know, soccer starts in uh, MLS started in '96 or whatever. So they did their homework and they got it right the second time around. And that's why Russ and Chris pulled it down to four locations when they started the Eagle League in '87: Philadelphia, Baltimore, Washington, and New Jersey, which played out of the Meadowlands up until 1989. They switched from the Meadowlands to the Nassau Coliseum back in 89 and became the New York Saints. Uh, you predominantly had American field players playing the box game in this league for the first two seasons. You really didn't see a Canadian-influenced team until the Detroit Turbos came along back in 1989, if I'm not mistaken. In 1989, they came in, they stopped the whole nine yards, but again, Philadelphia won the championship in 89 and 90. And in 91, the Gates were coming out of college, Gary and Paul Gate, and they were phenoms in Syracuse on the field game. They were absolute phenoms. And they were awarded to Detroit in 1991. And they played there for two seasons, and they won the championship in 1991. But in 1992, even though the Turbos went unbeaten during the regular season, something else happened. And this is where the Canadian influence in the major indoor lacrosse league came from, the Buffalo Bandits. They lost their first three games. 
but the majority of that team came from Peterborough, Brampton, uh, St. Kitts, the, the entire Ontario province, more or less. And once Buffalo got on a roll, they won the championship in 92-93. They lost the championship to Philadelphia in 94. Didn't make the championship in 95 and won it again in 96. They were just like a juggernaut because of the Canadian box influence that was brought to the United States through this league. And it, it, it just amazed me back when we talk rivalries. There wasn't really a rivalry amongst the four teams. Okay, we played Jersey, we played Baltimore, we played Washington, and then Detroit and New England came along in 89. Washington went to Pittsburgh in 90. Detroit was there, and it was like not until 92 when Buffalo came to the spectrum and won the championship in overtime. That was your first true rivalry out of this leg, Philadelphia and Buffalo. And it went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, year in, year out. And it's like um, it was an exciting time for indoor lacrosse in Philadelphia when we played the Bandits. And as I said, it, it's like uh, you got to crawl before you walk. Chris and Russ understood that. And they finally got it right. There was franchise shifts from where, you know, if a franchise was struggling like Washington before their franchise, before their players went to Pittsburgh and the wave was dissolved. It was like, they took a look at the markets. They took a look at everything. And, you know, the teams that rolled over into the uh, national lacrosse league, when it became the national lacrosse league again in 98 survived for the most part. So what, I, I, another question I guess I'd throw out there is, is what is it about the indoor game uh, that makes it or has made it such a, um, I don't know, a tantalizing you know subject for making you know pro leagues out of it, right? Versus say the outdoor game where uh, there, I, I my under, my guess is that there has not been as much of a movement uh, or, or frankly success. Uh, on, you know, creating more of an outdoor league. Now, obviously, there's today's Major League Lacrosse, and, and we could talk about, the, you know, where it's going in a second. But uh, up until fairly recently with Jake Steinfeld and friends, it doesn't seem like there has been as much activity on the possibilities of a sustained outdoor field game. Uh, and, and I'm guessing that's largely because of the where it's popular, the popularity of the outdoor game at the collegiate level. The field across stereotype continues to be affluent suburban kids playing in institutes of a higher education where education is really a priority. You know, like Yale. Yale's the current defending champions. And I think, you know, the, the old um, uh, notions of playing the sport, uh, the gentleman's game, and playing for the love of the game and not for professionalism, I think a lot of those Victorian concepts still exist in the field game. I mean, there was a brief attempt in 1988 to do an outdoor, uh, professional outdoor league, and it, it died within three weeks. Um, yeah, the MLL's been around since 2001, but it's, it's, it's barely made a dent. I mean, I would say until they find their red grange, to use a, a football analogy, college is always going to eclipse, eclipse the pro game. We'll see if Paul Rabel 
we'll see if his grand experiment that just popped up about a month ago and we'll talk about later is going to push it over to, uh, over the hump. As opposed to, in, you know, box across, to Americans, uh, unless you were in Rochester or Syracuse, it didn't exist. So it, it, they can market it as a new sport initially, both with the National Lacrosse Association of 68 and the, in the original National Lacrosse League, it was being marketed as a summer game, again, largely because that's when the arenas were available, not because someone thought, oh, this would be a good way to grow the game. And, you know, now it's a winter game because, you know, the client in France realized, look, no one wants to go inside in the summertime, so we'll make it a winter game. But I, I, I think, you know, people like sports with hitting. Uh, and, you know, people like uh, hockey's been popular. Football's been po- popular. You know, soccer has struggled for many years because it didn't have the, the violent ele- element that people like to see. And, and I think, and now I think people are turning to it because uh, with now football's almost seen as too violent. You know, the, the people playing it are damaging themselves. So the thought is, where do you go to get entertainment without necessarily watching people literally kill themselves? And, and a lot of attention, both indoor and outdoor, is turning to lacrosse. And indeed, you know, Dave mentioned the gates. I mean, the gates revolutionized the outdoor field game. But these were two kids who played, grew up playing box lacrosse. They took box lacrosse skills and brought them to the field game, and you're seeing a lot more of that now. There's a lot more cross-pollinization, which is, I think, also what's making the indoor game more palatable to field people who for years would turn their noses up at it. Now they're saying, hey, wait, there's a skill set there that is lacrosse, whether indoor or outdoor, it's still lacrosse, and there's more of an appreciation for it. And I think now... Uh, you're seeing again a, a resurgence. I mean, the, the National Lacrosse League almost folded five years ago, and almost folded about seven years before that. I and mean, it never really—it was just sort of under the radar. Uh, but it, most re- you know, recently, uh, even before Nick Sakavich took over as commissioner, the league was really starting to climb back because I think field people have, uh, have discovered it, have discovered its value both as entertainment and as a teaching tool for field players. And now you have an interest that wasn't there before. Right, Dave, you think? I, I couldn't agree more with the recent announcement from the National Lacrosse League of, uh, affiliating itself with the American, Lac- the Arena Lacrosse League, excuse me, uh, for the players that don't make the cut the first time around. It gives them another resource to go to to hone their skills indoor. I can see the arena lacrosse league growing as time goes on with the more with more field players coming into the game that want to. It, 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 there, there's a lot of possibilities on the table right now for a lacrosse player. Major in, the major league lacrosse on the outdoor, uh, Paul Ray, what Paul Rabel's doing, uh, the national lacrosse league. And it's like if you really want to learn the box game, really want to learn the box game, go to Canada. That's the best advice that I could give a field player in the United States right now. If you really want to learn, you'll get you'll get a quick education real quick in Canada. And it doesn't matter which coast you play on, because the West Coast, uh, the BCLA, and all the associations out in British Columbia. It's great. It, they have they have the tools for new players that want to get involved with this game. 
I can't understate that enough. It looks for a while that uh, until kind of recently that uh, with Major League Lacrosse on the outdoor side and the National Lacrosse League on the indoor side, that there was, I wouldn't call it an agreement or an understanding, but it, it did seem to me for a period of time there that the uh, aspirant uh, professional lacrosse player uh, could actually uh, make a fairly decent go at it by uh, being able to play year round, uh, both indoors and outdoors, not unlike maybe some of the a uh, couple of years there for for pro soccer for a while where, you know, people looked at it as uh, as an opportunity for a full year's worth of of play and employment. But it also seems that uh, the uh, the schedules and, and whether it's by design or by happenstance have seemed to become uh, much more unaligned and or uh, counter to that uh, that possibility. Also, I get the sense that uh, and again, my ignorant, you know, just outsider's observation that uh, that's our, arguably because there's a, I guess, a, a desire for the better talent and maybe having uh, one entity sort of win that talent versus the other one versus supporting each other. Well, if the leagues could all come together and decide on the best route available for the individual player, I'm not talking about a group. Okay, this is player A. And it's like he wants to play indoors, he wants to play outdoors. There was a lot of conflict back in the day. You're either playing indoor or outdoor, that's it. I mean, it was cut and dry, plain and simple. Now they're coming. It's it's coming to fruition to where the money is starting to come into all of these leagues, to where players can make a full time profession out of playing both indoor and outdoor, and it's great to see. It really is great to see because the majority of the indoor players back in the MILL days, and we'll go back to the '80s and the '90s, they were getting paid. It depends on who you were. The way that it was explained to me by John Grant Sr. in a phone call that we had the other night, back in 74, 75, they rated their players Tier A, B, and C. If you was a Tier A player, you was getting top money. B, you was in between. C was the lowest. And it's, it, it, you know, like it, it, it afforded them the opportunity to give up the jobs that they had at the time. To play full time, I mean, it's a forty-game schedule. It's not; a, it wasn't an eight-game or a ten-game or a twelve-game schedule. It was a forty-game and a forty-eight-game schedule in seventy-four, seventy-five, and they made a living out of it. Now you get back into the major indoor lacrosse league, and it was like hundreds a game per player, depending on where you sat and who you were and your skill level and this and that. I'm sure they had their tiers also. I can't really confirm that. But it was like they held second. I mean, they they worked. They worked for a living. It would be like me going into the major in their cloth. I work for a flooring manufacturer, and it's like I play lacrosse part-time, and I pick up a couple hundred bucks, and I go back to work on Monday. Now it's getting to the point to where you're seeing – the ownerships bringing the money to the table. Um, as again, you, you crawl before you walk, but the opportunities are there for the players to play year round. There's no sense in doing anything else. This is what you want to do. Do it. 
that's where Rabel's league. We'll see if it takes it to the next step because, yeah, Tim, you're saying about, oh, there was the opportunity to, to make a career. The fact is both indoor and outdoor, both of these leagues, the players are part-timers in the sense that, you know, they, they, they have other jobs. They're still working other jobs. You know, Dave alluded to the MILL of the 80s uh, you know, and, and early 90s. It's still the case. I mean, these guys, they're, they're practicing on a Friday. They're playing on the Saturday. They're going back to work Sunday. And the outdoor league is the same way. Um, and uh, and, and you, I think one of the reasons for the um, uh, the, the, the most recent, uh, the, the very recent, you know, last week, the labor dispute that finally got resolved in the NLL was the players, the players would like to be able to make this a full-time gig. Um, and indeed, the, the sport itself, both indoor and out, for all, it's, it's getting bigger and it's expanding. But I think perception-wise, fans, uh, you know, it, fans aren't going to really take it seriously until they know that these players are actually full-timers. And again, we keep mentioning his name, and I know we're going to get to him in due course, but again, that's where Paul Rabel and, and the grand experiment that is the Premier Lacrosse League is going to be interesting. Yeah, and Russ Klein, you know, we kind of alluded to this too. I mean, in many respects, you know, that sort of part-time sort of lunch pail kind of, you know, mentality of the player was actually almost a, a marketing uh, uh, bonus. It was. Yeah, initially, it was. Initially, yeah. it was a, initially, it was a real plus. But I think people are tired of it. Initially, it had a certain charm, 87, 88, 89, whatever. Uh, you know, my view as a fan and talking to other fans is that, it, it, that's, that's, it's, it's not cute anymore. You know, they, they want to see the next step. Yeah, and that makes sense. And I and, and um, you know, and I think too, Russ kind of alluded to the fact that uh, you know the economics now then change, and then you know, would a you know a major in or indoor lacrosse league, you know, of your you know, based on the business model and centrally controlled and and relatively controlled uh, player salaries or, or part time and that nature. Uh, you know, would that then, you know, if you're going to basically now say, well, we're now at a higher level, players want more, you know, full-time type salaries, well, then, you know, some different business uh, uh, things need to go into the equation. And perhaps this is the time then to now segue into this Premier Lacrosse League thing that that has been. I mean, it was interesting because a couple of months ago, there was sort of this curious announcement seemingly out of nowhere uh, by Sandy Brown and the uh, uh, the Major League Lacrosse folks that there was going to be uh, some almost, uh, you know, sort of a doubling of player salaries. And then literally within a week's time, you saw this mega announcement uh, from Paul Rabel and, and his uh, his investors, which I guess come from the world of private equity, I'm not mistaken, uh, to create yeah, an alternative, right, outdoor uh, uh, field play, uh, but not necessarily on a franchise model, but sort of a uh, almost like a big three basketball touring kind of model where he goes city to city and sort of make a little festival out of the whole thing yet with competitive uh, uh, dynamics to it. So I, this seems to me like the arrival of uh, some, at least some anticipated uh, business expectations and thus perhaps uh, convincing a certain group of people uh, to put some bigger money behind this with potentially the promise of uh, things like insurance and a full-time salary and that kind of stuff. And um, I'm get, I guess that's what it takes maybe to maybe take this conversation to the next level. Exactly. And Paul Rabel got his ducks in a row when he before he announced all this. Uh, Wall Street and the, uh, oh, what do you want to call them? The, the private investors that are backing all this, it, it seems like it's going to be very, it's going to be very interesting, if not promising, for lacrosse players in the future. 
they want to make it to where this is all you're going to do. And if they can get on board with the indoor game, we're reverting back to what we've already talked about. You can make this, you could be playing lacrosse year round without a doubt. You take a look at it. I mean, it's time. It really is time. You shouldn't have to work a second job or a third job in order to make ends meet. And here you are getting, getting slapped around every weekend or every week and you're going back to work, you know, <laughs> with whatever injuries or whatever you've sustained in the last game that you played. I mean, this is, you know, yeah, insurance, money, stability. That is the key right there. Stability, without a doubt. But, that's, but the, stability, the stability part is where this is interesting. Because Rabel, he's not just being visionary by saying, okay, I'm going to be the guy that's going to commit to making lacrosse a full-time job for people who are talented enough to play it. He's really, he's, 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 a, he's, he's trying to do a brand new sports model. And, and if you read the Sports Illustrated article, yeah, he's, he, he knows he's got a plan. I mean, initially when he announced, okay, yeah, we're going to have uh, these, we're going to have these teams, but it's basically going to be a traveling circus. We're going to go from town to town. There's not going to be any home teams. Not, you know, we're going to, this festival atmosphere. Um, I was initially appalled. I mean, I'm an old school guy. I want my team, my home team. I want them playing in my stadium. You know, wave the wave the pennant, rah rah. And he's saying, no, look, with the internet, you know, people people aren't connected to their home team. They pick whoever they want, and largely they're picking who they want based on players. And he, he specifically cited LeBron James. I mean, there aren't there weren't Miami Heat or Cleveland Cavalier or Los Angeles Lakers fans. They're LeBron James fans. And and he's saying, look, you don't need home teams anymore. With the internet, one, you're following a player, not the team. Two, to the extent you want to follow a team, you get on the internet and you read about them. You get on TV and you watch them. It, it, it's not like baseball in the 19th century when everyone in the city went to the ballpark and rooted root 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 for the home team. And yeah, you know, part of me is horrified to think he might be right, but I guess we're going to find out. I mean, if PLL takes off it, 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 and, and because people want this traveling circus thing and that's what's going to bring the numbers out and that's because that's what's going to bring the revenue and as we know any kind of live sports it's the only live program on television people won't tape and, and skip the ads for he's he's going to command you know they're going to get a tv presence um it, it might be you know it, it would be the next big thing and it would be interesting that you know a sport that even as we've talked about it's been around literally for centuries and on a organized level over a hundred years a sport that's one of the oldest in north america is now seen as like the sport of the millennials and a very millennial league might be uh, you know in concept might be the thing that winds up pushing it over the hump and making it one of the major pro sports in this country do you think that um mll can survive this uh this shot across the bow and and perhaps maybe become the next retro lax feature <laughs> on your site <laughs> we go we go to 97 and <laughs> well, we, we, well, we were we, we were joking with uh with the labor dispute i was telling david say so, oh boy if, if this and if the current nll folds i'm gonna have a, a lot of work to do over the thanksgiving weekend <laughs> oh, uh, we, sort of, we, we focus on the dead leagues and I don't want NLL to become one, and I don't want MLL to become one. But sort of drawing on, you know, they say you know the past is prologue, right? Uh, and and so in drawing on my soccer experience, uh, you know, historian-wise, anyway, 
No, I, 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 I don't see MLL. Um, I don't necessarily see it folding, but you know, it's not going to get past. Notwithstanding, where they've expanded the schedule and they're going to bump up salaries and and and, and they're not going to compete with indoors, so they don't have that overlap. And they're also not going to compete with college. They're going to start their season a little later, so they're not stepping on, you know, the the college playoffs and what becomes their you know final four weekend. But I don't see them looking at the facilities where they play. And, and everything else, I don't see them getting past the 3,000 a game um, figure where they've been you know, for the last few years. Uh, I, I, I don't know if they're going to fold right away, but it's certainly they're not going to grow either. So it, it might be like the old American Soccer League. As the NASL was flourishing, we just watched the old ASL sort of limp along, trying to be relevant, never really getting there, and then ultimately folding. That that may be where MLL is going to go. But I think their their plan may be they may be a bit cynical like I am. And they say, no, look, people don't want the traveling circus. You know, the carnival's coming to town approach. PLL can't sustain this. They'll be gone in no time and we'll get these players back and we can, we'll go back to the slow and steady growth we had in mind. So, you know, time will tell. Yeah, I actually, so I actually think that, you know, maybe one of the interesting solves for all this could be which outdoor uh, field league uh, can figure out a way to align itself much more harmoniously with uh, the box uh, side on uh, National Lacrosse League, right? Because you could make the argument. I'm just now. I'm just really pulling this one out here, but um, you could make the argument that uh, whichever one kind of does that, that could actually be a, a more, um, you know, a viable from a player perspective, and maybe from a uh, a franchise stability. Uh, perspective, a way to kind of counter whichever other outdoor league uh, winds up succeeding. I, it's interesting. Now you got uh, the other issue is you've got three leagues essentially. You could also now make the argument: Is there enough talent? Uh, and uh, do we risk, you know, as Steve would probably remember, uh, a 1967-68 uh, soccer thing with you know two leagues competing with each other when arguably there might be room for one? It's going to be interesting to see how it all pans out. I'll agree with you there. I imagine, though, too, that um, it's also a heady time for to being a lacrosse fan. Let me ask you, as we sort of round the curve here, let me guys ask you on, on the Retrolax.com stuff. So um, give us a sense more of what you envision this uh, to further become besides a repository for uh, just some, some really amazing video and I suspect probably some more supplemental and or archival content. Um, and, and I guess I'm most, most specifically interested in the reaction, if any, or the awareness and uh, cooperation, if any, uh, with either the, uh, national, uh, lacrosse hall of fame, uh, either the, the Canadian version or the U S version, uh, and, or the current, let's say, uh, national lacrosse league, uh, who may or may not want to embrace the past. I know that Steve has been working with the Canadian Lacrosse Hall of Fame out in Vancouver. I've been working with the Ontario Lacrosse Hall of Fame in St. Kitts. The vision is to keep on adding and creating the content as it becomes available. What you see now is a start. Um, you know, Steve is writing. Currently, he's wrote more than me because I've been on the film end of it. I'm uh, working on the first of many documentaries that highlight certain teams, certain aspects, this, that, the whole nine yards. Our website is basically going to the library. You want to learn about 
a certain team, a certain player, this, that, the whole nine yards. It's just there for you to learn from. We're not in the business to make a dime off of anything that we're doing. It could easily be done, but it's not what it's all about. It's about sharing, archiving, and giving the average fan or somebody that's new to the game a learning experience that it's like, this is cool, you know? It's just about it's just about sharing what we have at our disposal at the time with everybody on a worldwide basis. And the acceptance of when we launched the night before Thanksgiving has been totally overwhelming to this point, to the point to where the server crashed not once but twice. <laughs> Everything just went just like that. And it was like, wow. And we got about, you know, I mean, it, it recovered. And it just is, it, it's amazed me to look at the statistics since Thanksgiving Eve and the responses from people. And me and Steve sit back and we talk almost daily, if not daily. And it's like, you believe this? <laughs> and so we're, we, we must be doing something right. We're not trying to toot our own horn or give herself a pat on the back, but we're doing something right. And it's just basically for Tim to come along and it's like, yeah, I learned something today and we'll get an email and it's like, yeah, boom, boom, boom. And we go back and forth. And that's basically, you know, it's basically what we're sharing with people and people are sharing with us and it's only going to get bigger. And I couldn't be more, you know, I just like banged my head against the wall. It's like, why am I getting back into this? This is why I'm getting back into it. Because of, you know, uh, the excitement's back again. And I couldn't be more pleased with the relative outcome. I mean, you know, like, as I said, it's never going to be a done deal with, okay, we're out of material. Dear God, no. We're going to continue to research. We're going to continue to investigate. We're going to continue to receive and we're going to write and document everything that comes in and hopefully everybody is happy with what we're doing and i'm happy to report that the national lacrosse league has shown interest in what we're doing uh, i've had a meeting with uh, with nick, nick Sakavich, the commissioner you know we had a connection going to the philadelphia union days and so uh, so when he heard what we were doing you know, he knew about the soccer history stuff and 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 he appreciates history. So, uh, as opposed to say MLS, you know, Major League Soccer, which has never really been one to embrace what had gone before, showing that there are deep roots, it helps market the current version of the game. But to give credit where it's due, I mean, Dave used the word library, and and I got to tell you, that was his concept, that was his idea, and it's been huge. Well, you know, initially I was just writing, I was just happy to write my articles, and they get posted where they get posted, and Dave said, hey. I'm going to bring this site back. Would you, would you write for me? I said, sure. And, and then he said, okay, well, we're also going to do, we're going to, we're going to put, you know, primary sources on the site. And at first I was thinking, oh, well, why would I want to do that? Because then other people are just going to write instead of me. But then as I warmed to the idea, it, 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 it was brilliant. I mean, like he says, if someone wants to learn a little bit about the game, if someone else wants to write and they need a place to access material because not everyone has a subscription to newspapers.com. Not everyone's got the collection of memorabilia that Dave and I have, old programs and media guides and whatnot. 
they can, they can not just learn about the game casually, but if they decide, hey, I, you know, uh, like Long Island's going to get a new team, allegedly. Not allegedly. It's it's worst kept secret in, in NLL right now. Some kid in Long Island decides, well, I want to read about more. He decides he's going to read about the New York Titans and the New York Saints. He decides he's going to read about the Long Island Tomahawks. Maybe he'll decide he wants to write about it. It's, it, you know, libraries, are, it's the perfect you know, metaphor for what Dave came up with with Retrolax. And it's been a lot of fun. I mean, I've been doing in different sports. I've been doing this for a long time. I haven't been as enthused about, you know, doing something with sports history as I have been with this site over. It was about March when Dave contacted me. So it's been about, what, six months now, six, seven months? At least. Terrible yeah. math, eight months, whatever. It's, it's, I haven't had this much fun in years. And, uh, and, and, and people, as you said, people, it's grandsons of people who played. It's people who did play. And all kinds of people reaching out to us saying, oh, this is great. I didn't know this. I never saw this picture before. Oh, thank you so much. It's not only fun to do, but it's so gratifying to see it's appreciated. And, and it's, and it's really, it's, it's even, even, Ten days old now, whatever. It's still, it's a, it's been a blast. All right. Well, let's get some promotion here. Uh, give us, uh, t- tell us the site. Uh, how else uh, people can reach you and or follow you? Uh, here's your chance. Okay. Well, the website is basic retrolax, r e t r o l a x dot com. We have a Facebook page which is retrolax lacrosse, and then Steve set up everything else. So I'm going to let him go from here. Yeah. We have Twitter, which is at Retrolax, which is R-E-T-R-O-L-A-X underscore, because apparently Retrolax is a uh, Pokemon thing, so I couldn't get the name. So it's at Retrolax underscore, and we also have an Instagram account, which is, uh, I think that's also Retrolax Lacrosse, um, where, you know, you get to see the old pictures and stuff. That's awesome. Well, guys, this has been awesome. I, I appreciate it very much. And, um, you know, you uh, even if you're not you don't consider yourself a lacrosse fan out there, you, you will uh, you will lose a few uh, minutes, maybe an hour or two, perhaps even more if you're really into it uh, by uh, delving into retrolax.com and, and uh, what these gentlemen have uh, put together and obviously more to come. But, uh, you know, the uh, as a, as a child of the 70s myself and uh, having uh, uh, grown up watching, you know, things like North American Soccer League and being fascinated by the ABA and the WHA and WTT and all these other leagues that sort of blossomed in the 70s, right? The one, you know, one league that kind of sort of I completely missed uh, first go around was this National Lacrosse League. And having gotten into the to the game when the major indoor lacrosse league really started to get going in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, uh, it was uh, fascinating to me to realize that there was uh, a history, at least a pro history. Certainly, I knew the the, the other history of it, uh, you know, generally, uh, and uh, and that's what uh, this is all about. And and you know, we we do these shows. Uh, I don't know. I, frankly, I'm not exactly sure why we do them, but but I think part of it is because uh, there is uh, rich history and stories and uh, and uh, things to be explored that uh, you know today's modern sports world uh, either could learn from or. Uh, you know, generations of fans today uh, might be intrigued by to kind of understand, you know, upon the backs of which uh, current uh, businesses and or leagues uh, and or premier uh, lacrosse leagues, et cetera, uh, get uh, uh, get founded and uh, and hopefully uh, uh, successful. So uh, uh, kudos, guys, for your passion. Uh, and uh, I think uh, I, it's fair to say that uh, folks who uh, take an interest in this, I'm sure, um, I hope a little contribution maybe to get you a few more 
uh, pieces uh, to help uh, continue to uh, build your uh, your tower of greatness uh, around the sport of lacrosse. Yeah, we'll see where it goes from here. And as I said, we started from the ground and we're working our way up and it can only go from there. Yeah, and Sam, thanks for your interest. I mean, uh, across the board uh, in all sports. I mean, uh, the podcast is great because there's so much history out there. And it's a lot of fun. And, and, and thank you for, uh, you know, uh, between... Uh, football and, and baseball and basketball there's plenty out there thanks for taking the time to pay a little attention to lacrosse and hopefully you know this will just get bigger all right there it is uh you know i learned a, a ton on this show and uh lacrosse uh the pro version of such uh is one of those uh, very uh, sort of interesting nooks uh, and crannies that uh, uh, kind of escaped my sort of purview, and I'm I'm just fascinated. Uh, I'm fascinated by it, uh, the sport's uh, future, as well as its very deep past. I'm also fascinated, frankly, by people uh, like Steve and Dave who just get uh, uh, you know tremendous thrill uh, and and for for little to no you know financial gain by any means. Uh, the uh, the sheer joy of discovering and uh, preserving. Uh, the history of of a sport they love and that they've become uh, huge fans of and and, and want to share and uh, extend that knowledge uh, and passion with uh, with other people similarly interested, perhaps possibly uh, to become uh, similarly interested. And that's uh, that's what we like to sort of celebrate here on the show. And uh, we always learn something as uh, uh, as we do so. And that's uh, I guess that's kind of the cool thing as uh, why we do this. And uh, we appreciate your listening to. Uh, to, uh, to 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 learn with us as we sort of go through these little journeys. Um, the uh, website that uh, Steve and Dave uh, have put together, it's called RetroLax.com. That's R-E-T-R-O-L-A-X.com. And again, a fair warning, you will lose a lot of time. Uh, so make sure you've got a lot of spare time uh, when you go to this site because some of the video is amazing and uh, it's hard to believe that... Uh, uh, that uh, this was uh, uh, not only a league, but uh, that has actually recorded and, and aired on various television stations and whatnot. Uh, and it's really cool stuff, and it's obviously a great heritage uh, for what uh, is now, uh, I would argue, a, a mini renaissance again uh, in lacrosse's uh, professional uh, popularity. That's Retrolax.com. Uh, on Facebook, you'll find them at Retrolax Lacrosse. Uh, on Instagram, you'll find them at Retrolax Lacrosse. And on Twitter, uh, as you heard uh, Steve say, you'll hear them, uh, you'll hear them, you'll find them, of course, at Retrolax underscore. Make sure that underscore is there. Uh, or you will be uh, whisked away into uh, the world of Pokemon, apparently, uh, by doing so. Um, let's see. So uh, we appreciate, of course, you're listening. And we, of course, uh, uh, want to um, say thank you to our friends at Podfly Productions. Uh, and, of course, uh, the good doctor, Jerry Payne. Uh, who painstakingly, get it, uh, puts uh, our pieces together each and every week. Uh, you can find more uh, about them at podfly.net. Check them out. And uh, one last thing I want to say, the, uh, the, the audio clip that you heard at the beginning of the show uh, was not indeed me uh, doing an imitation, but that was the original John Facenda uh, of NFL Films fame uh, doing a, uh, looks like a promo uh, a video, I think, from 1975. Uh, and not a surprise, uh, he being in NFL films, being based in South Jersey slash Philadelphia metropolitan area, uh, Mr. Facenda was uh, quite a bit involved in lots of uh, uh, Philadelphia-related uh, challenger leagues and sports and that kind of stuff. And uh, we hope you enjoyed that little clip. And uh, uh, we love to find those things, too, as part of the whole mix. So, um, again, we appreciate your listening. And uh, we'll see you and talk to you next week, hopefully a little bit uh, 
healthier sounding. And uh, until then, uh, take care, everybody. We uh, we love you for listening, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again. Bye bye. Thank you.